0: There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's ittrium, aturbium,
1: actinium, What
0: is radium, the link between Babylonium, pretzels myopium, 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 and Draino? If you know the answer, barium our barium. number is 514-790-0800, or you can text your comments, questions, answers to that question to 514-800. And the second one for you, who said it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled? So once more, Who said it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled? And the other question is, what is the link between pretzels and Drano? Great show coming up today. I have a very special guest. After the uh, traffic check at uh, at 3.15, I'll be joined by Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif, who's the director of the research center at the Montreal Heart Institute. And he's a professor of medicine at University de Montréal. And we're gonna talk heart disease. And there are, of course, so many questions uh, to be asked about that condition. And uh, Dr. Tardif, I think, will have most of the answers. So you wanna stay tuned for that one. Well, you know, unless you're a researcher or a user of psychedelics, uh, the date of April 19th is not gonna have any special meaning for you, but If you know anything about research in psychedelics, or if you happen to be a user or micro doser of said chemicals, you will recognize April the 19th as Bicycle Day. Well, Bicycle Day was uh, launched in 1985 by psychologist, Professor Thomas Roberts of Northern Illinois University. And he did this to commemorate the first ever intentional acid trip and that was taken by Swiss chemist, Albert Hoffman. And yes, indeed, a bicycle really was involved in that historic trip. So I'll tell you a little bit about this. And also, I'll mention that Professor Thomas Roberts, who first introduced Bicycle Day, in fact, let's say, you know invented this event, is a promoter of the use of psychedelics and things that they should be um, governed, but that they should be um, allowed, like uh, THC or CBD are now allowed. Anyway, let's talk about bicycle day. In 1938, Albert Hoffman, PhD chemist, was working for the Sandoz Pharmaceutical Company. And his task was to research compounds that were found in the ergo fungus. Now that's a fungus that contaminates grains. And uh, it has long been known that consuming such tainted grains is associated with the condition that has been known as St. Anthony's fire. It um, is characterized by convulsions, vomiting, and hallucinations. Reason it's called St. Anthony's fire uh, is because you get a burning sensation in the extremities due to um, vasoconstriction. But extracts of this fungus have also been used medicinally in the 1800s to control excessive bleeding after childbirth. Well, Dr. Hoffman was interested in isolating the active ingredients from the fungus and possibly going into the lab and synthesizing some safer and better analogs. Now that of course is something that is very commonly done in pharmaceutical research. You have a compound very often extracted from a natural source that has certain properties uh, and uh, also certain properties that you don't want, side effects of all kinds. So the idea very often is to try to make similar compounds Either by uh, chemically manipulating the naturally occurring ones, or starting from scratch and making some synthetically that incorporate some components of the target molecule, uh, with the hopes of having something that works better and is, uh, you know, less uh, has fewer safety uh, issues. Well, in any case, uh, Hoffman managed to convert one of the components of Ergo into a drug and the drug uh, got the name Methagene, and it was used throughout the world to control blood loss after childbirth. That, of course, can be a very dangerous situation, but uh, uh, Methagene was able to, to control that. Anyway, the success of Methagene whetted uh, Dr. Hoffman's appetite for synthesizing other potentially useful ergo derivatives, and one of these turned out to be lysergic acid diethylamide or LSD, as it came to be called. No useful effects were found for this compound, but when the animals were given LSD in testing, uh, they showed signs of excitation. But you know that didn't really excite Sandoz, they couldn't find any use for this molecule, and uh, any further research was shelved. But for five years, Dr. Hoffman harbored a lingering suspicion uh, that his problem child, as he would refer to LSD in his uh, book that he published in 1979, he thought it might have some use after all, You know, remembering the fact that it did have an effect on exciting the animals. In 1943, so five years after he had made the first batch of LSD, he decided to have another go at synthesizing some of the compound. That afternoon, as he later recounted, He was forced to stop work as he was seized by quote, a peculiar restlessness and mild dizziness. He went home. Arriving home, he experienced what he said was a stream of fantastic images of extraordinary plasticity and vividness accompanied by an intense kaleidoscope like play of colors. So he wondered, could this have been due to an accidental ingestion of LSD, the compound that he was uh, working on during the day? Well, there was only one way to find out. He decided he would become his own guinea pig. Well, surely only a very tiny amount could have been ingested by chance. So Hoffman decided to try a quarter of a milligram, the smallest dose that based on his research with ergo derivatives might be expected to have an effect. Now, a quarter of a milligram or 250 micrograms is a very, very small amount. I mean, it would hardly be visible. And boy, did it ever have an effect. In less than an hour, he began to experience unrest, visual disturbances, and dizziness. Well, as obviously it was time to leave the lab. His usual mode of transport was a bicycle, and he now hopped on and headed home. And this would become the journey eventually commemorated by celebrating Bicycle Day. Because it was as he was riding home on this bicycle that Hoffman experienced his field of vision swaying and he saw objects distorted like images in curved mirrors. Well, a physician was called when he got home and uh, he took notes And to him, uh, Hoffman had reported a heavy feeling in his head, vertigo, and that sounds were being transformed into optical effects with every sound evoking a corresponding colored hallucination. Well, then Hoffman described his adventures to colleagues and and they became excited, you know, uh, listening to these stories of, uh, you know, hallucinations And uh, some of them volunteered to see if the effects were reproducible. Indeed, they were. And they were reproducible at doses much smaller than the original quarter of a milligram that Hoffman had taken. And uh, there was no question that they had chanced upon a substance that had physiological activity. It was a hallucinogen. Well, it turned out that Uh, it didn't have any practical use. Uh, The company uh, studied it to see whether it might have some use in in, uh, treating mental illness, but it turned out it did not. So LSD was accidentally discovered in the fashion that I just described, and it happened to be in 1943, on April 19th, And today, that is still an event commemorated as Bicycle Day. Well, we did have my question about uh, the link between pretzels and drainol solved. And um, indeed, the uh, solution to that little problem, uh, the link is sodium hydroxide or lye. Pretzels are dipped into a hot solution of sodium hydroxide before baking. And the reason for that, it breaks down the proteins into amino acids that then combine with sugars in the classic reaction we know as the Maillard reaction that enhances the flavor and the color. About 80% of all the pretzels in North America are made in Pennsylvania. There is the so-called pretzel belt uh, because there are a lot of German and Amish immigrants uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, draino is uh, sodium hydroxide because it breaks down the proteins in uh, hair, which is the stuff that uh, very often clogs up drains. As I told you, I have a special guest today. I'm going to be joined by Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif. And um, I'm very pleased to have him as a guest because uh, he is, uh, let me tell you, well-known and highly, highly respected and reputable. He is the director of the Research Center at the Montreal Heart Institute, professor of medicine at University of Montreal, and uh, very impressively, he has over 700 peer-reviewed uh, publications. And let me tell you, from someone who does work in the science area, that is a lot of publications. So Dr. Tardif, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Um, There are so many questions that come up, of course, when we start talking about heart disease. uh, There are questions about uh, whether saturated fat is as bad as uh, everyone used to say that it was, about when we have to start worrying about cholesterol levels, about whether or not triglycerides are as big a risk factor as we have been uh, led to believe, the role of inflammation in heart disease and uh, just what happens when someone suffers from atherosclerosis. These are the k- kind of things that you deal with on a regular basis, and you also uh, design a number of, of studies which we'll uh, talk about that revolve around cardiovascular uh, disease. Uh, but l- let me just ask you, uh, you know a little bit about your background. How did you get into this particular area of research?
1: Well, uh the number one killer uh, unfortunately in the world remains heart disease by far. And uh what drives a lot of that morbidity and mortality is what we call atherosclerosis, sort of the build up of plaque inside the arteries and um you know there were a lot of uh, members of my family that died prematurely from uh, from heart disease and uh, and in fact heart attacks and strokes. And uh, at a young age, I became interested in
0: disease. Well, that's a good motivating uh, force. Well, let's talk a little bit about atherosclerosis and the buildup of plaque in in the uh, coronary arteries. That plaque is a very complex mixture of compounds, uh, including cholesterol. So cholesterol is there, found at the scene of the crime. But based on what we know today, What is the role that cholesterol plays uh, in terms of dietary cholesterol and cholesterol that is formed in the body from other food components that we eat? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So, uh, yeah, and there's a lot that has been said about cholesterol and its role or lack of role. Um, Cholesterol and, and fat in general certainly have a role in the development of these plaques. In the arteries that lead to heart attacks and strokes. Um, So cholesterol has a necessary role in atherosclerosis in the sense that if you remove, if you were to remove completely cholesterol from the equation, uh, you would not develop uh, atherosclerosis, these plaques in the arteries. Now, what we've come to realize over the last, you know, couple of years is that Cholesterol is, has an obligatory role, but uh, is not sufficient to um, uh, perpetuate uh, the, the process. And so there are other components to, to the atherosclerosis. Basically, when I went to med school, we sort of thought that atherosclerosis was sort of rust in a pipe, if you will. And we've come to realize over the last few years that it's a lot more dynamic and complex disease than just the question of cholesterol.
0: Now, in terms of uh, of diet, uh, the relationship between eating cholesterol, such as one finds it in eggs, or eating fats that in the body result in the formation of cholesterol, What what is the relative importance of these two?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically... Our own body, uh, largely the liver, is in a <laughs> factory to, to manufacture uh, cholesterol. There is part of the cholesterol that comes from the diet. Uh, you're right, but basically we have reduced the emphasis compared to where we were 20 years ago. We've reduced the emphasis on trying to limit intake of cholesterol in a diet As a means to prevent or stop the progression of uh, of atherosclerosis again you know if someone had a heart attack or stroke we would probably advise to limit to a certain extent the intake of cholesterol uh, but but we've reduced the emphasis on that so basically we'd probably recommend to um, to have an intake of approximately 300 milligrams of cholesterol per day but again The emphasis on that has decreased quite a bit in the last decade.
0: Now, in terms of the fats, there's a huge controversy uh, about saturated fats. Uh, And there's an army of of people out there, generally not experts, but that doesn't stop them from writing articles and, and books about how, basically the public has been misled and that there's nothing wrong with uh, uh, saturated fats. And in fact, some of them even, even proposed that it's protective against heart disease. How do you handle those comments?
1: Yeah, complex questions. First of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, some decades ago, there was a big uh, controversy um, where the question was, is fat or sugar uh, sort of more the culprit uh, for uh, the reason for developing um, uh, atherosclerosis, the disease that leads to heart attacks and strokes. And actually, there was probably a mistake. Uh, it, it's obviously easier with, the, uh, with hindsight to say that, but the emphasis that was placed strictly on fat uh, actually led to something that was unexpected where people started to uh, consume a lot more sugar and refined sugars, and this probably largely contributed to the uh, epidemics that we see of people being overweight, obese, uh, and and all of that leading to diabetes and literally the pandemic of diabetes. So looking back, uh, that uh, emphasis that, for example, the American Heart Association. Uh, way back when put on on fats as opposed to sugar led to some problems again I don't want my comments to be misunderstood to say that oh now some doctors said it's fine to eat all the cholesterol you want and that's not what I'm saying Um, I'm saying I'm saying that actually yes you should if you have heart disease or at risk of having heart disease you should probably restrict for example you asked about cholesterol you know your intake to 200 or 300 milligrams per day but this should not be at the expense of of consuming a lot of, of sugar you know with uh, um, coca-cola and all sorts of things that we have around us so so now turning to the third aspect that you mentioned the other types of fats meaning not cholesterol but saturated fats and what we call trans fatty acids but certainly these are not good fats Uh, if I had to choose you know first of all you you need some intake of fats in your diet one should probably going towards omega-3 fatty acids uh, EPA and DHA that largely come from uh, from fish for example
0: Yes. Okay. Well, I want to discuss this a little bit more, but but um, we have to take a break for the news. So if you can hang on, uh, we'll get back in a few minutes and discuss some more of the nuances about uh, atherosclerosis with my... Uh, guest, Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif, who is the Director of Research Center at the Montreal Heart Institute. We are back with my special guest, Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif, who is the Director of the Research Center at the Montreal Heart Institute, Professor of, uh, of Medicine. Uh, at University of Montreal, and we are chatting about uh, heart disease, and we we're talking particularly about atherosclerosis—the build-up of plaque in the coronary arteries—and talking about fats. So, Doctor Tarif, you 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 mentioned that the omega-three fats that we find in in fish and some nuts—that these are certainly the heart-friendly ones—but uh, uh, what about the two other classes of fats, the saturated fats, the ones that we find in in things like you know butter and 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 uh, red meat and the vegetable fats, the so-called omega-6 fats, which some people claim are, are actually responsible for heart disease because they cause inflammation. So what about the saturated fats versus the vegetable fats?
1: Yes, excellent question. So basically, to, to make it relatively simple, you, you, you sort of have four types of fats if we exclude cholesterol. You have, as, as you correctly pointed out, you have saturated fats, and you have unsaturated fats. In terms of the unsaturated fats, you have two types, as you said. One that mostly come from animal sources, and they're called omega-6 um, um, fatty acids. And these uh, are pro-inflammatory; that is, they will uh, trigger inflama- inflammation in the body, which is bad and which contributes uh, potentially to atherosclerosis. At the other extreme. There is an other type of unsaturated fat that we call omega-3 fatty acids, and they mostly come from fish, but they can also come from, from as you said, from uh, uh, vegetables, and and that's a that that's a good type of fat. Now the the fourth type, which is sort of an artificial type of fat, which is trans fatty acids, uh, that is. Um, that is created by industry uh, and uh, for the food uh, industry, and that's also sort of a pro-inflammatory, uh, deleterious type of fat. So to make it simple, saturated fats and uh, fat from animals are pro-inflammatory and bad for your heart and, and brain, and at the other extreme, uh, fats from uh, fish and vegetables are actually a good type of, of fat.
0: Okay. Now, I know that uh, you also do research, all kinds of interesting research. And so I want to switch to to that because I I know that you've got an ongoing study with uh, colchicine and aspirin, uh, which sounds fascinating. So if you want to just give us a little bit of background on what that is all about.
1: Yeah, well, for the past sort of, and thank you for the question. So for the past um, 20 years, as I said, we've move from what we thought was sort of a simple disease, atherosclerosis, killing people from heart attacks and strokes, something that was sort of rust in the pipe, to something that's a lot more complex, which is not only about fat, but is rather about inflammation. To a certain extent, the the same type of inflammation that you can get in your joints or, or in your lungs, and that leads to asthma, or, 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 you know, in your joints like rheumatoid arthritis. And so this has sort of changed the way we look at this disease. And so a few years ago, uh, we as well as others have, have run studies in patients with heart disease that have shown that when you reduce inflammation, for example, after a heart attack, you can reduce considerably the risk of future bad stuff, bad events that can happen to patients, strokes, deaths, need for bypass surgery, and so forth. So we've done that. We've published that in the New England Journal of Medicine. There are other groups from other parts of the world that have also shown that reducing inflammation with a very old drug called colchicine, like uh, like uh, we have, can reduce the risk of of bad problems to patients once they have... Uh, ongoing heart disease. Now, the question that uh, remains is, how about if we were to try to prevent the first event from uh, taking place in the first place, would that be good? And that's a, the, you know, the topic of a study that is ongoing, trying to see whether in primary prevention, that is before patients have a heart problem, can we prevent these bad events from occurring in the first place?
0: Now, colchicine is the drug many people have heard of because it's used in the treatment of gout. Now, the the doses that you talk about for prevention of cardiac problems are we talking about the same kind of doses as are used for gout?
1: No, so and you're absolutely right. So, colchicine is a very old drug that actually was used uh, a couple of millenniums ago. Uh, you know, coming from a plant, so people you know, did not realize why when they were chewing on that plant uh, that they were having less inflammation and they were big toe, and that was gout, basically. And then 150 years ago, people isolated from that plant something that we have come to call colchicine, which, as you said, is being used in gout and other inflammatory diseases. Now, as you said, for prevention of heart disease, we're using a slightly lower dose to try to keep, to retain uh, the reduction of inflammation, but trying to prevent some side effects from that drug.
0: Now, what what kind of side effects do you see with colchicine?
1: Colchicine actually is is very well tolerated. There's about a 7% of patients that can have some gastrointestinal side effects uh, from, from that drug in terms of, uh, of loose stools, for example, or a bit of nausea. But typically, if you stop ter- temporarily that drug or, or start it over every other day, the drug is going to be well tolerated. So certainly the benefits uh, by far outweigh the side effects in patients with established heart disease, like after a heart attack. And now the question that we're trying to address now is are we going to see the same kind of benefits um, in patients, for example, with diabetes even before they have their heart attack or stroke because unfortunately we know that patients with type 2 diabetes are much higher risk of suffering from these atherosclerosis-related diseases, heart attacks and strokes, and we're trying to establish whether that's inexpensive old drug is going to prevent heart attacks and strokes in patients with uh, with diabetes.
0: Now, what about other uh, populations that do have risk factors for heart disease uh, other than diabetes? Uh, you know, if they are overweight or uh, hypertensive, uh, what do you think Uh is is there a study in the future to look at uh, these uh, these populations? Yeah, a... we're
1: actually addressing this because in that study that I just mentioned, uh, that is ongoing, is funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research that we call CIHR. So basically, from our federal government, uh, I, you know, I was trying to to uh, you know cut corners a little bit. I said just diabetes, but actually. Um, a lot of these patients with diabetes uh, are overweight, and a large fraction of these patients also have hypertension, high blood pressure, or other risk factors like high triglycerides. And we include uh, these patients uh, as well um, in the study so that patients. Uh, with um, uh, diabetes and other concomitant risk factors, as you said, like high blood pressure, or or being overweight, are included in the study because we in fact believe that these patients with more than one one risk factor is going to uh, potentially benefit from reduction of inflammation with coicisin. But you know, we remain we 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 need to prove that with, with you know beyond the shadow of a doubt.
0: Right now, I tell you that one question that. People are going to ask once, once they hear this is what about people who don't have any risk factors but are interested in in uh, prevention of uh, of heart disease do you think that's that a there's great question
1: any- that, that's a great if you don't have any risk factors and by the way, I know what you're talking about but so the people uh, who are listening in uh, know that what we're talking about when we talk about risk factors the traditional risk factors are high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, and smoking. But also a family history of heart disease is also relevant, or being overweight also puts you at risk of heart disease, you know, heart attacks and strokes. And so um, basically, if you have no uh, known risk factor and no family history, uh, but still you're interested in lowering your risk well, for that type of patient, you should probably go towards you know changing lifestyle, meaning uh, a better uh, a better diet, probably something that we call the Mediterranean diet or vegetarian diet, and also you know being more physically active, uh, and and trying to lose a few kilos would probably be the way to go. But but for the f- large number of people you know in Quebec in Canada, half of the um, uh, actually, 40% of the population have some degree of being overweight or obese. 20 uh, um, 25% of patients have high blood pressure, and about 10% of patients have diabetes. So, if you if you meet any of these criteria, you are indeed at risk of of heart disease, and you know you might benefit from being included. In, um, in, in in that study that we call cold-cut T2D if, if you have diabetes.
0: Okay, we're going to talk a bit more about that study, but we've got to take another break here. We'll check traffic and be right back with Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif, who's the director of the Research Center at the Montreal Heart Institute, and he's a professor of medicine at Université de Montréal. My guest this afternoon is Dr. Jean-Claude Tardif, who's director of the research center at the Montreal Heart Institute, professor of medicine, and he does research on atherosclerosis, which is what we were chatting about. And, uh, Dr. Tardif, I want to get back to your studies, but just before that, I've had a couple of people text in questions that maybe we can deal with very quickly. Uh, one says, I read that was they reduce cholesterol, they don't necessarily reduce mortality, asking about statins. <laughs> Let me just make a comment here about reducing mortality. You, you, uh, you cannot reduce mortality. Mortality is 100%. Uh, what you can reduce is, Earlier mortality. So, uh, Dr. Tardif, what, what do you say about statins, reducing cholesterol? But are they really that helpful in uh, reducing early death?
1: So, you're, first of all, absolutely right in what you just said. Um, there has been a bit of controversy over the last 20 years about statins. Let me, and it's a you know, classical question we hear all the time. Uh, for the vast majority of the question, the, actually, the answer is simple um, and straightforward. And I'll just say where there, there's a bit of question that remains. So for statins basically are wonder drug that uh, lowers cholesterol and reduces the risk of heart attacks and strokes. There is absolutely no doubt about that, both in men and women. So let me make it clear. If you ever had any manifestation of what we call atherosclerosis, you had a heart attack, you had bypass surgery, you had angioplasty, you had a stroke, um, you have blockages, narrowings of arteries in your legs. If you have any of that, you should be on a statin for life because um, it's going to make you live longer. You're going to have a reduced risk of heart attacks and strokes. So that's simple. Second... If you have a genetic disease that is quite common in in Quebec, uh, called FH familial hypercholesterolemia, you definitely should be on an a statin. And then the last, few, so that's easy, and there's no controversy around that. Then uh, let's move a bit towards the controversy. If you if you never have had any of the problems I mentioned, but you're a fairly high risk because you have diabetes. You have high blood pressure, you have a heavy family history, you should be on a statin. Where the sort of the questions uh, have arisen is that if you have nothing like this, you're at fairly low risk, um, you never had a heart attack, you're not a diabetic, you're, 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 you do not have hyper, uh, hypertension, then you should probably your physician uh, should probably insist more on changing your lifestyle, your diet trying to to, to lose a bit of weight, trying to be physically active, and try to delay the introduction of a statin. So that's the only place where there's a bit what we call primary prevention at patients at low risk. Other than that, statins have transformed the landscape over the last 30 years and reduced uh, significantly the risk of heart attacks and strokes.
0: Okay, and one more here about monounsaturated fats like olive oil. And saturated fats like from coconut oil, both of which are, are very often being praised as being good for the heart.
1: Or olive yeah, oil. Yeah, so and, I, and I'm sorry, when, when we discussed earlier the types of fats, uh, I did not mention monounsaturated uh, fatty acids, and, and the typical one is, um, is oleic acid that we find in olive oil, and, and that we call omega 9 fatty acids. And uh, I'm glad that that question was, was posed because it is important. Actually, probably the most uh, cardioprotective diet, if you will, the, the diet that is more favorable to the heart is the Mediterranean diet. And in that diet, we strongly recommend to, lo- to, to use olive oil in your cooking. So, um, so there's no doubt in my mind that um, olive oil is a is a good is a good player and should definitely be, be used. So no no problem there. And coconut oil? Well, uh, that's that's a more um, complex uh, issue. Coconut oil is basically saturated uh, fat and 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 so therefore will tend to raise cholesterol so i would certainly not put it in the same category as olive oil so to make it simple uh i would go towards uh olive oil and not towards um not towards coconut oil
0: right okay now let's get back to the studies are are you still looking for
1: uh, subjects uh, for these studies oh my god yes so So, yes, uh, we're very proud of the study that we just launched with the help of the federal government and the Quebec government. It's called Colcut T2D, which is basically following in the footsteps of the previous study that we did where we showed that reducing inflammation with that old inexpensive drug called colchicine helped patients, and this led to the approval by Health Canada. But we did that in what we call secondary prevention once you already have established disease now we're trying to show that we can prevent heart attacks and strokes and perhaps even cognitive problems in patients with diabetes e- even before they even have mm-hmm. had any evidence of heart disease so we uh, we need to recruit 10,000 patients with diabetes we just started 2 months ago we have what Uh, 300 patients recruited. And so absolutely, we are looking forward to getting calls. And what we've done with, you know, patient partners, we have made it very simple to participate in the sense that patients don't even need to come to the hospital or the clinic. So they can just call or go to the website. Uh, We speak to them. We give them the consent form. We send them the consent form uh, on their cell phone or tablet if they do not have that kind of tool, we, we send a paper copy at home. And then if they're interested, we basically deliver the medication at home. So we've made it very simple. And then we uh, we evaluate them over the phone every six months. So patients can call uh, uh, you know, the hotline uh, 1-877-587-3389 and, or go to the website, uh, coldcut.com. Um, dash T2D.org, and uh, they'll speak to a nurse, and uh, we'll give them more information about diabetes, about heart disease, or they can go to the website, and certainly we'll be recruiting patients over uh, the next 24 months.
0: Okay. You want to just repo- repeat that
1: phone number? Sure. one eight seven seven five eight seven three three eight nine. 587 3389 and the website is www.colcot-t2d, for type 2 diabetes, t2d.org.
0: Very good. Okay, well, thanks a lot for being our guest. But I want to leave you with one last question. Because this is a question I like to ask all experts that that I chat with. Uh, Because, of course, based upon your career, uh, I'm sure that you have made some lifestyle changes, uh, you know, depending on what you've learned in your research. So, what is your diet? Uh, The
1: Mediterranean diet. Um, and, and I'm certain, you know, I'm not a strict vegetarian, but actually, uh, I eat lots of, uh, vegetables and fruits, uh, every day. Uh, I eat fish to two to three times a week. Uh, I rarely eat, uh, uh meat. Obviously, if I go to to a friend's house and I'm a guest and I'm being offered uh, meat, I certainly will will eat it, but i I certainly do not eat a lot of um, of uh, red meat and you exercise oh absolutely, not as much, <laughs> quite frankly as I should uh and uh but but, but I used to exercise three to four times a week i've gone down for all sorts of reasons, but i'm gonna resume that doing that uh uh a lot more uh actually very soon, but I still you know do brisk uh walks um uh three times a week
0: excellent, so thanks very much for clearing up you know some of these issues about uh um, cholesterol and atherosclerosis and uh Thanks for the study that you're doing, which is going to, to eventually give us some very important information. And uh, uh, I will uh, uh, have the, the number uh, that, that you said available for people to, uh, to call. So thanks a lot for uh, being our guest. And uh, that's it. We are out of time. It, it flew by today. You've been listening to the Dr. Joe show. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.